your personality doesn't necessarily inform or dictate who you're going to be, how you're going to act, and really your, your level of success, or maybe more accurately put, that your personality is not going to drive you to be a banker versus an actor, right? That if you are the actor, I mean, you really want to be a banker, as an example, you can change that behavior, which ultimately allows the personality sort of to mold and follow, and then you can become that banker. Welcome to the Real Estate Mindset Podcast, hosted by Eric Nelson and brought to you by Wild Oak Capital. Eric is a real estate investor, business owner, and performance coach. Throughout this series, Eric explores the mindset behind why certain investors are so successful and how we can learn from their achievements and failures. Eric asks the tough questions around the habits, discipline, mindset, and more required to achieve the most ambitious goals. Thank you for being here and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Eric Nelson. And uh, super excited for the guest today. This is Alex Kogan of Ashland Capital Fund. Alex, thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to be here, Eric. Cool. So let's just jump right in. If you could give us a little bit of your background, you know, the classic podcast story, right? Where you came from, what you've been doing, and then what led you to real estate. Yeah, sure. Well, as you know, Eric, I started out with my real estate construction background in Durango, Colorado, in late of 98. Originally from Chicago, grew up in a real estate uh, construction family. My dad was a builder, my brother is a builder, developer. So uh, while I didn't think I was gonna do that, I ended up you know, following the family footsteps. So came out to Durango, started my company, Kogan Builders, and we did high-end design, build, construction for 20 years, a little over 20 years, as well as developed real estate. We did some smaller developments. We did stuff downtown, ski resort, land, mixed use, townhomes, condos, really uh, a broad range of VASA classes. And as you know, you know, Durango's a small market, so smaller projects. But I kept building and building my rental portfolio of single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, and continued to just grow that in my personal portfolio. And about five years ago, I realized that I hated being a landlord to the small assets. And yeah. decided that I started, <laughs> should, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the same story I think that most people go through. Although it's amazing. Some people still swear by a single family and they just keep growing their portfolio. And I, I got to hand it to them. I just, I just don't know how and it's not my deal. So anyways, I divested of those holdings. Slowly but surely, I still have two in Durango that I will eventually sell and started pivoting into multifamily, larger 100 plus unit multifamilies. And then I started as an LP investor probably 10 years ago, investing you know in other people's deals. And then it slowly morphed into friends and guys that I invested in, I got to know. I started investing a little bit more heavily with them and then bringing some wine investors with them and being on the general partnership side. Then it led into me lending my balance sheet to some guys and helping them scale their business. And ultimately, several years ago, just ended up me buying larger assets and partnering with guys and really starting to focus on the asset class. So that's really what I've been doing. 
for the last several years. And then a year ago, I, I had the good fortune to sell my, my building company in Colorado. I sold that. And then backing up three years ago, we moved back to Chicago for family reasons. And that is where I'm at now. We have been growing and uh, have a really good trajectory. We've got about $125 million under management right now. And uh, no end in sight, you know, good deal flow and good stuff happening. So we're, we're pretty excited. So that's a 10,000 foot level. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's dive into a bunch of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I live in Durango. So you're kind of my first guest that we have a, you know, hometown connection. So that's kind of why you said that just for listeners to understand. But yeah, and I knew, you know, we've known each other, worked in the same industry, of course. And you have that same trajectory, like you said, that many investors have. You, start getting some single families. Maybe you either don't like it or maybe you, you know, run out of money or maybe you see it's hard to scale and then you kind of jump to multi. So this is kind of awesome. I mean, like a case study for lack of a better term, but so a couple of things. So you started as an LP and how did you, okay, first off, how did you find the deal? And then, you know, are you glad you did it? Do you learn a lot from being an LP? That's a limited partner. Yeah. I think the first deal that I found was uh, a result of a conference that I went to years and years ago. So, you know, I, for me, I've always bet on the jockey in terms of everything that I've done, whether I'm investing as an LP in real estate or other businesses or ventures, it's always about the people. So I had a really good connection. There's a level of trust with the first guy that I ever invested in. Obviously, I did my due diligence and I had the you know, the background of, of growing up in real estate and understanding it probably a little bit better than the average, you know, sort of professional or entrepreneur. So it, it was a little easier for me to vet the opportunity. And that's how I got started. Awesome. So looking back, I mean, you're glad you did that. It seems like it's a good way to kind of learn this multifamily business. It's just so much different than single family and to learn like how syndication work, what it's like to be GP, LP, all that stuff. I mean, are you glad you did it that way? Absolutely. I think that's one of the best ways to learn is you invest with a general partner that is open to kind of showing you the inner workings of the business that is open to, and I think all general partners should be fully transparent and some are and some aren't candidly. I think some, and it's not that they're trying to hide, they're just more of like, and, and some are trying to hide, but, but I think the majority, they just are too busy and they don't want to take the time to share and really show and almost teach their LPs as to how they look at a deal. But if you can find someone that's like that, I think that's a great way to learn from an investor's side of the table, if you will. So I'm I'm super super happy that I did it. And I've always invested with guys that were that way. They really, you know, they were uh, totally open to my thousand questions. So that's awesome. No, I mean, to me, it's like you kind of said it, you have to do your due diligence of your sponsor, right? Of your general partners, you need to make sure they're doing the right thing, vet the deal, all that stuff. But if they're fully transparent, that's amazing. I mean, that's what you have to be, in my opinion. And you're probably right. I'm sure there's groups out there that aren't, but you need to see basically, hey, where's every penny going? And if you don't understand it, ask the question. They should be willing to answer that. So that's cool. I'm glad you had that experience. So back to the move. So you're originally from Chicago, right? Yeah. And how did you find Durango? And it's kind of a personal question, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm happy to answer it. It was a detour. As I said, I did not think that I was going to follow in my family's footsteps of being in real estate construction and development. When I was in my early 20s, I wanted to save the world. And I thought that I was going to, by teaching high school, 
it was my way to have that opportunity. I also was an ex-soccer player, so I had this perfect life mapped out. I was going to coach soccer. I was going to, you know, teach high school, have my summers off, travel all over. And, you know, as life goes, you do it. I did it. I moved out to Chinle, Arizona on the Navajo Reservation, taught high school there for a year and a half, saved the world. It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, no, I mean, it was a great experience, but I realized quickly that I, I didn't want to be a teacher. I mean, I am an entrepreneur at heart and I just couldn't kick it. I knew that I had it. I knew that I wanted it. And I knew teaching wasn't for me. So after a year and a half, my ex-wife and I, we used to go, we went to Durango on the weekends and loved it. And when I realized that I uh, didn't want to teach, I said, now what? And of course, going back to construction, real estate development, you know, it was a natural. And I, you know, moved there in 98, went to work for another builder for about a year and then started my company. And then, you know, as you know, it uh, over 20 years just took off and you know, I think we doubled in size almost every year for many, many years. It was a great run. Awesome. So got a couple still left here, huh? A couple single families or small multis? Yeah, I've got a duplex downtown, which I think you looked at at one point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the plan is to get the college renters out of there, get it cleaned up and sell it this summer. That's the plan. And then I've got another uh, commercial space on College Ave across from Durango Joe's. And I've got a long-term renter in there and I'll probably keep her in there forever. And, and then I'm done. No, no more yeah, yeah. smaller. Just, <laughs> uh, just keep growing and scaling the bigger stuff. Cool. So let's jump to what you guys are doing now. Ashland Capital Fund. What are you guys buying? What markets are you buying in? And then I assume you're actively looking at the moment. Yeah. 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 We're super busy. So uh, first thing I'll clear up, Ashland Capital Fund. Long story how it evolved into that name, but we're not actually a fund, so we transact on an individual deal-by-deal basis. We will rebrand the fund part and drop that from the name because everybody thinks it's a fund, and they never want to be a fund. So we are buying, we have two assets in San Antonio. We have a couple of assets in Atlanta. We have one in Greenville, South Carolina, Little Rock, Arkansas, and we're just about to close on one in Des Moines, Iowa. Awesome. And you kind of recently closed on that one in Carolina too, right? Yeah. In Greenville. That's, awesome. That's yeah. Congrats. Closed uh, two deals and then, yeah, about to close another. And then we just put a week ago, another 150 doors, 153 doors under contract in Indianapolis. Awesome. Yeah. You guys are, you guys are rocking busy. So still looking for deal flow. Where's the market, you know, perfect world. What's the deal? What's the market that you guys are looking for? So, you know, I'm going to have to stay broad because I think to get good deal flow, you have to stay a little broad. You can't just, you can't, you're just not going to find enough deal flow if you say I'm only going to buy in Greenville, South Carolina, which is where we closed recently, which is a great market. But, you know, everybody thinks it's a great market, so they're all competing. So I would say the Southeast is a broad area. You know, the Carolinas, we like, we like Florida, we like Georgia, we're looking in Tennessee. And then the other big area naturally is the Midwest, other than Chicago. We don't buy any, anything in my backyard, unfortunately. But within a, you know, a few hours, like the Des Moines deal is not far, Indianapolis. So we are looking all around the Midwest. And it's a little bit of a different market than the Carolinas. But for different reasons, we like both very much. And that's the target. We're still, of course, like everybody, still always looking and underwriting in Texas, given the strong growth of Texas, 
Arizona as well. But for the same reason as I mentioned previously, it's super competitive. Everybody's looking there. So it is hard to find a good deal there unless it's truly off market. So we do a lot of off market cold calling and buy direct from uh, legacy mom and pop sellers. It's been really effective for us. Awesome. No, I love that technique. I personally love cold calling and it's so weird because, you know, most people hate that. So people give me a strange look, but I actually kind of enjoy it. So yeah, it's a new technique that works really well. So I'm going to jump in a little bit harder questions here. I guess the first thing, and you kind of mentioned this is you were teaching and you realized, okay, well, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, right? So what do you think that means? And where do you think that comes from? Yeah, that's a great question for me specifically where it came from is that's the family that I grew up in. And I think that is huge. It's such a, I mean, simply put is I grew up in a family where there was the example of no fear and the example of not relying on anybody else is forging your own future, taking risk and just doing it. You know, my dad was a builder, an entrepreneur, my brother. So that's all I knew. That's all I know. I mean, other than being a teacher, I've never had a sort of professional corporate or professional job. I've always been an entrepreneur. So that mindset is interesting. I think it could be good. It could be bad, right? I mean, the no fear could be dangerous. If you're reckless, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But, you know, fortunately, I've never gotten in trouble. I've always had that, you know, if he can do it, I can do it attitude. And I've done it. And so that's probably the biggest difference is that no fear, wanting to do something yourself, wanting to create, to build. And really, I think it takes a bit of um, like, I want to be the leader. I want to push. I want to, I want to, you know, be the pioneer of something rather than I want to be in a support role and be a great producer. You know, that's never been my mindset. I want to be, you know, I want to build a team and have a unified team behind me building something new. Awesome. No, love that answer. Cool. So a couple more questions kind of based specifically around mindset and some of these, you know, you can just answer quickly or dive in because some of these can get kind of lengthy, just like the last one. I love that. So feel free to, to kind of go as deep as you want. So the first one is, do you have a morning routine? Not one that I like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let me put it this way. I wish I was more productive in the morning. That is certainly my goal. I tend to be a little bit more of a night owl. So, and I, part of that is, is lifestyle. Like we have a six-year-old, right? So I'm going to put my, I mean, I'm always going to, you know, have dinner with my family. I'm always going to put my kid to bed, give him a bath. That's just part of my routine. So the fact that, you know, from call it five o'clock to eight thirty, nine o'clock is allocated towards my family. And then I'll hang out with my wife for a couple hours. I tend to, you know, get back at it at 10, 11 o'clock and work till midnight, sometimes after. So it does throw off my morning. So, you know, whereas I'd love to get up at 6.30 and just start rocking it, that doesn't happen very often. So, <laughs> No, all good. There's no right answer. I mean, it's just like kind of a, a question I ask everybody. Yeah. So now that's the routine is wake up a little later than I should, a little coffee, and then just get after it and get on the computer and hit it. Right on. I like it. I got a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home, by the way. So I get the whole kid thing. Man. It's, it's tough in the mornings because you just never know. That's part of being a dad is like every day is completely different and seeing their, their world. But part of it is 
you can't have a, a super, super structure. Or you just can't get frustrated. You know, that's part of life. Yeah. So cool. But that's the beauty of, of being an entrepreneur as well. It's that it's conducive to that, right? You know, you're not clocking in at eight, clocking out at five. You have that flexibility, which I love. That was my biggest fear. And what I hated about teaching, there's no latitude. You have to be on. You've got to be there at whatever it was, seven o'clock in the morning. And you're going until four o'clock when the school's over. I hated it. I hated that just regimented structure. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the thing about being an entrepreneur, so... So, you know, I own an engineering company. I co-own it. My partner's awesome. It's a small company, but we have a lot of that, a lot of flexibility, right? And so this real estate thing and podcasting is kind of my side job and it's for fun and it will grow eventually. That's the goal, right? But it's a double-edged sword. I mean, sometimes there's deadlines and you're you're on the hook. So when you're the entrepreneur and you're in the hot seat, sometimes it's the opposite where you got to hammer till, yeah, past midnight. But then there's those days where you don't have that. So I mean, that's something I like about it too. So that's a personal thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So what, are you reading any books right now or what books do you recommend? Mm, this is embarrassing. I've been going, and it is a mindset book. I'm going to have to, this is not going to be any help, but I can describe that, the concept, but I can't tell you <laughs> the name or the author. Oh, um, good. Yeah. Anything helps. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's basically the, the, the premise of, you know, that your personality doesn't necessarily inform or dictate who you're going to be, how you're going to act, and really your, your level of success, or maybe more accurately put, that your personality is not going to drive you to be a banker versus an actor, right? That if you are the actor, I mean, you really want to be a banker, as an example, you can change that behavior, which ultimately allows the personality sort of to mold and follow, and then you can become that banker. And I think it's just an interesting, you know, mindset psychology that I think has a lot of truth to it. There are things that I think in my life that I've been initially uncomfortable with. And I've said, yeah, it's just not my thing. It's not my personality. I'm not this, I'm not that. But I've made a choice that I need to do that because I'll get to the end goal if I do that. And then all of a sudden you look in the mirror a year or two later, and you know, like, why did I say that? Because this, this behavior now comes so easily. So maybe my personality has shifted as a result of that practice and doing that and behaving that way. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's the book. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to it. That's cool. No, I I completely agree. Cause Again, it's like a mindset thing. So you can easily say, that's not my personality. And it's kind of a cop-out. It just means you maybe don't want to do that or you don't know how to do that yet. But totally agree. I mean, you can actually learn and you can learn to be better. And yeah, your personality doesn't necessarily dictate what you are or aren't. So there's a book called Good to Great, which is pretty famous. It's like they did a ton of research behind companies that were good and then they got great. I encourage you to check it out. But it's that same concept is in there where he says the leaders of those companies weren't introverts or extroverts necessarily. So they found in the research that it didn't matter their personality type to be a good leader. You could be either or. So kind of goes in with what you're saying. I completely agree. Super cool. Yeah, I'll have to read it. I keep hearing about it. Yeah. It's really data-driven. It's really good. So I encourage you. Have you ever had a coach or a mentor in the past? So the only thing that I've done, I mean, I guess, you know, mentor, 
nothing official, but I would say that I've been lucky in my life that I've built a good team. You know, I give credit to, you know, like, for example, my CFO that I had with me for 16 years in Durango is a super sharp guy, and I've always treated him like a partner. So that sort of partnership and bouncing ideas off each other, I know was very good for me. So, you know, is he a mentor? Not necessarily, but I think a good partner. The only other thing that I did, let's see, it was last year, is I did a program for a year called Strategic Coach. It is what it sounds like. It is a high level. It was, it was a, the 10X program of Strategic Coach, which is a guy named Dan Sullivan. If you've never heard of him or read about him, you should. He's, um, he is 75. He's been doing coaching for, I think, almost 50 years. He's a rock star and has the energy of a 20-year-old, very insightful guy, has written a ton of books. And that was a quarterly coaching group that I flew to Toronto and would spend two days with very, very successful high-level entrepreneurs or whatever, a certain criteria you need to meet to be in the group. And so that was really good for me. And a lot of it is mindset. A lot of it is big picture stuff rather than smaller granular execution methods and processes. So that was good. Other than that, no, but I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about something that is actually a little bit more multifamily real estate focused. You know, I've got a couple of guys in mind that I like and trust that have, you know, that have a billion plus under management. So it may happen. Awesome. So this one, so I originally wrote this question and I've asked it a few times, but I prefer to change it. So the original question was, what's the biggest mistake you've made in your career? But someone kind of corrected me and said, what's the biggest learning? You know, what's the piece that you learned a lot that you maybe wouldn't do again? So we'll call it that. Yeah. So this has been a pattern. I won't get into details of what happened, but the theme is I have really good intuition about people. So I can read people really well. That's my gift. My Weakness, I would say, is for other motivations, I will sometimes ignore that. You know, if I have a sense, I mean, I'll just give you a little bit more context around it. You know, you have this sense that a potential client is going to be difficult and unreasonable, but the project is a great project, you know? So you tend to like ignore a little bit of those signs and you, you start to focus on this and justify it. Every time that I've done that, it has backfired, you know, and I've regretted it. So that's really the biggest regret. But then, as you said, that's the learning pieces. I knew it. You know, what did I learn from it? I mean, obviously, don't don't ignore <laughs> that, that kind of intuition next time. But there's always a lot more to learn from that. It's like, you know, what could I have done to, to keep this on track? And anyway, that's probably it. No, I'll just say, I know, I know exactly what you mean. It's like, sometimes you get this, oh man. And then someone says, no, they're great. You know, but if it's your gut, I completely agree. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome tip. I will say that that lesson or that opportunity comes up a lot in multifamily. And I think as you're getting going and you're considering partnering with guys, because that's a very common, obviously for a lot of at least smaller GPs to partner to take down deals together. I see it and I've almost, you know, caught myself in the same place as making bad decisions without really knowing 
who you're partnering with and what their skill sets are, what their commitment level. I mean, so I see guys making that mistake in multifamily. So that's one to, for me, for you, for all of us to look out for. No, that's a great tip. And yeah, I think that you're right. That's common. And there's been times when, you know, I'm like, oh, should I, should I partner with that person? But I don't really know them, you know, and that's not okay. So I completely agree with what you're saying. Cool. So moving on, speaking of tips, what mindset tip can you give someone who's just starting out? And it doesn't have to be necessarily even in real estate. It's basically like, you know, if they're an entrepreneur or if they're buying their first house, or maybe they're like myself, you know, trying to find their first GP deal, what mindset tip can you help give? You know, I would say don't get caught in this analysis paralysis, right? I'm not saying go in blindly, but I think a lot of guys. I mean, it's easy to just think of some example in real estate, of course, but I think you can probably apply it to multiple different industries. And then just don't think of your first deal as the perfect opportunity to make a bunch of money. That shouldn't be the way you look at it. I think you have to look at it as what's the best way to have some guardrails about the decision and the opportunity, right? So you don't do something that's fatal but a way to get in the game, to get experience, and to just do it. And I think there's a lot of value to that, right? So, I mean, again, you have to temper that. But too many guys look for this opportunity to make a bunch of money. And I think that's a mistake. I mean, yeah, if that's the point. You want to be profitable. You want to make money for your investors. But someone who may want to partner and just get in, get the experience, and look at it as as education rather than an opportunity to hit it out of the park. Oh, great tip. I love that. Okay. So this next one's kind of a two-part question. So someone asked you why you're successful. What's your answer? I've always been committed to it. I've always wanted it. And, you know, there's been, I think I had that, we talked about that mindset. So I had a little bit of a leg up there, right? I, I just didn't think there was another option. I was just going to do it. What level of success I was going to achieve was, you know, I didn't know, honestly, but I was super, super committed. And it's the old cliche. I worked my ass off. I mean, I did what it took. You know, I worked as much as I needed to, as hard as I needed to. And there's a little bit of that. I won't take no for an answer, right? I'm going to, here's my goal. I'm going to accomplish it one way or another. And it's simple. It's cliche, but that's, I think, you know, what I did to start and to gain a lot of traction and become successful. And then along the way, I think it's just surrounding yourself also with good people. I could not have done, I couldn't have built the company I built in Durango by myself. I surrounded myself with really good people, treated them well. As I mentioned, you know, my CFO, I had a small executive team, you know, the four of us, we acted as if we were partners, even though none of them had any kind of equity, they're compensated well, but they were treated like partners and that pays dividends. People will work hard and they'll be committed and they'll help you grow and make sure that vision is carried out. That's awesome. So there's two things in there that you said that I'd like to kind of tackle. So the first one is work hard, right? So, I mean, my wife's the first to tell people is like, sometimes I work a little too hard, but I think that's part of a mindset thing as well. It's exactly what you said is it doesn't come for free. And even if someone's an entrepreneur or you know, has a gift of reading people like yourself or whatever it might be, it still takes hard work at the end of the day. So a lot of times people think, well, you know, you had this blank, whatever it might be. And that's not really fair. I mean, obviously you worked really hard to get where you are. And that's just one piece of a mindset thing as well as it requires work. 
to be successful. So I love that. And then the second thing you said was surround yourself with good people. So I hear that continuously. That's such a good tip is put yourself around people that are either doing what you want to do or who do what you don't like to do, but just make yourself surrounded by, by great people and it's going to propel you. So awesome tip. Yeah. And then the last question here would be, of course, how can people connect with you? So how can they get in touch, learn more about Ash and all that stuff? Sure. AshlandCapitalFund.com is the best way. My email is my first name, which is spelled oddly, A-L-I-X, Alex at AshlandCapitalFund.com. Yeah, love to connect with anybody who's looking to get into real estate. Obviously, people who want to invest in multifamily, we partner with limited partners. So happy to connect with anyone. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. If you're listening here, check out AshlandCapitalFund.com. Alex, thanks so much for your time. This has been great. Is there anything else that you want to say before we sign off? I think you should go out and buy some multifamily, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. I'm actively looking. So yeah, if there's a... <laughs> thanks for that. Well, <laughs> appreciate it again. Enjoy your evening and thanks for your time. Yeah, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Mindset Podcast. If you've enjoyed the content today, please follow this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to head over to wildoakcapital.com for more information or to connect with Eric directly. Please take a moment to leave a review or tell a friend about what you've listened to today. We hope you'll tune in again soon.